we're going to something that is extremely, extremely um, important to us. As much as I enjoyed our relationship series last month, um, this month we are going to be talking about something that I consider a landmark series because this topic is absolutely core to who we are as Christians. And this, uh, this year, I like coming up with fancy titles, but this month as I was thinking about it, let's just call it what it is. We're going to be talking about discipleship. And discipleship um, is something that is so, so core to our Christianity. But yet, when I was growing up, I didn't really understand, and I grew up in church. I attended church basically from the moment I was born, I think. I don't remember. Um, but, but church has been a part of my life, and I attended church right from young. And to be honest, the word discipleship didn't come up that much. I didn't hear a lot about discipleship. Often when I hear the word discipleship, it would be attached to words like course or class or program go for this discipleship course, attend this discipleship class, be a part of this discipleship program. And so that's my understanding of what discipleship was, that I go to a class, I hear someone who is probably about 15 times my age, uh, who has got gray hair coming out of every part of his face, teaching me the Word of God. And after I attend this course class program, I somehow maybe possibly get a certificate that says that Nate is now a disciple of Jesus Christ. At least that was my understanding. I don't have a certificate to show any evidence of that. But that was how I thought discipleship worked. And as I continued on in my Christian walk, I... Um, I grew up um, and I started to think, hey, I want to get involved in church. And so I joined the kids team. I went into youth programs and, and I attended all of those. And then when I graduated from youth, I decided, hey, I really like this and I want to be one of the leaders. And as a leader, suddenly I was thrust with responsibility, which was extremely cool to me. And I was told that I was going to be part of discipling the next generation. I was like, Okay, how does this work? I don't have gray hairs coming out of my ears, but now you're saying that I get to disciple? This is pretty cool. So I attended, uh, not attended, sorry, I started to uh, be part of the leadership team, and how discipleship was described was that I was going to lead a small group. So as a, I, at that point, I was 17 years old, and I had a bunch of 15-year-olds. Uh, there were about eight of, eight of them, and we had this small group. And I was told that I was their small group leader, which is also apparently codenamed for being their discipler. And so I was now discipling eight 15-year-old boys, and I was like, so what am I supposed to do? How do I disciple them? And I was taught this process of discipleship. I will call these boys up once a week. What would I do when I call them up once a week? I would be encouraging them, meaning force them, uh, to come to the youth program on Friday night. And then when they come to Friday night, they attend this youth ministry, they, we, at some point uh, there will be worship and someone would preach this amazing word and then we'll break off into small groups. And when we break off into these small groups, each of us leaders, disciples, were then given a list of pre-arranged discussion questions that we will run through and facilitate. And so once we did that, we've discipled these young people. At least that was never written down. That was not, this is how you disciple. But the way that people talked about it, that was very much the, the mindset that I got that discipleship was about teaching and attending stuff. 
And um, that was my mindset, and, and I was happy to go with it because that kind of discipleship is clean, is neat. You know, if one of my youth boys don't turn up to youth program, they are being a bad disciple. It's not my fault that they are a bad disciple because I've given them the call, I told them exactly the same things as I told the other dude, the other dude turned up, so that's a good disciple, which by definition means bad disciple, not my fault. There are good apples and bad apples, you know, this is just how the world works, I can't control it, and, and as a disciple, there's no way I can control every person, and so I just do what I can do, which is call them up and lead discussions. And that was the process that I kind of went through for many years. And then after a while, I actually got onto staff at church. And um, I was about 21, 22 at that point. But my role was pastoral care administration. And so I was an administrator, which means that I don't do pastoral work. I'm not a pastor, which means I don't disciple. However, at that point in time, I started to become a lot more driven in understanding uh, the call of God in my life, and I started reading more widely, and I came across this book. It was called Wiki Church. Now, that might seem a bit like a weird old title because some of you have lived past the Wikipedia age, and Wikipedia is now no longer that important. Maybe we call it Google Church. It might make a lot more sense to you today. But Wikipedia was at that time exploding, and, and so this guy decided to call his book Wiki Church. I read it, and there's a book. Uh, let me just explain to you the story and, and how it impacted me. I read it many years ago. I haven't reread it since, uh, but I remember some of the details. If you want to, this is available in our library. If you want to read it for yourself, it's a great book. And um, Steve Murrell, who is the author, is an American guy, and he was just simply um, part of church, enjoying God and his personal walk with God, and, and his church decided to do a mission trip to the Philippines. And so he decided, you know what, I'm going to be part of this mission trip. It's going to be awesome. And as part of this mission trip, they ran a bunch of rallies where they had rock, Christian rock music, and they had someone preaching, and then we'll put out a, a salvation altar call, a salvation response time, and people will respond. This went amazingly. It, it, it was so good. There were hundreds, if not thousands, of young Filipinos getting a, a, a saint and sinner's prayer, receiving Christ into their life. And, and this um, American team were all going around each other going like, we've done it. We've done our mission. This is amazing. And, and they were celebrating that so many people were coming to Christ. And then some of these young people started to ask this really simple but profound question that they asked, what next? What do we do? You said this in his prayer. You're calling us Christian. Now what? And this team suddenly realized they were going back to America. And they realized that there weren't many churches to send these hundreds, not thousands, of youth to. They did not know what to do. And, and, and they went back to America, I believe, and Steve started to really pray about this, and, and, and he had it as a burden on his heart. And, and suddenly, as he was praying, he felt God say, go plant a church in the Philippines. He was like, nah, 
not doing it. In fact, he so hated the idea that later on he started a blog to help uh, churches and pastors do discipleship better, and uh, he called it the reluctant pastor because he had no desire to do this. And, and, and he still did it because he was obedient to God, which is fantastic. And he got back to the Philippines and he started a church. He got in contact with some of those young people uh, that responded because they got some uh, contact details and invited them to his church. And so he had a church. And very quickly, it was a large church because all these young people were looking for a church to be a part of. And they were like, wow, someone's showing me the next step. And so they all came to his church, but there was a problem. He didn't have a staff. He didn't have someone to run his small groups. He didn't have any older, wizened people that were ready to run discipleship programs and discipleship courses. And so as much as he was meeting uh, regularly with these people, there was something in his heart that went, Oh, I don't know if I'm quite answering the question of what next. And he started to pray into it, and he got this strategy that's called discipleship. And so he started to meet a couple of uh, the young people, went to cafes, coffee shops, sat down and read the Bible with them, talked about different things, talked about life. And after meeting with them for about a month, he would then turn to them and say, now you go get a bunch of other people and start doing what I've done. Invariably, they'll go like, no, 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 pastor, no, no. You're the pastor. You do that. I don't. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to teach them? I've been a Christian for three months. How am I supposed to disciple someone else? And he gave them this strategy, and the strategy was this. Just stay one chapter ahead of the person you're discipling. Kind of crazy, isn't it? And they were like, okay, we'll give it a go. And so Steve met up with a bunch of people. Those people met with bunches of other people, and they started to do this replication process where those people will now release other people as they had been released to go do discipleship, and they continue to disciple others. That church is one of the largest churches in the Philippines today because he has a heart for discipleship. And that's what this book is all about. And so I looked at that and I was like, that's crazy. No discipleship program, no discipleship course, no older, wiser people doing all of the teaching. Can that work? And as a young staff member at the church, I was like, I, I can't, I don't, I don't know, I, I, I don't know if I can do this. It challenged me, it excited me, but I didn't know if I could do that. Now, fast forward a couple more years, and I was about 25, and now uh, I had been appointed as a campus pastor. Now I've got the title of PS in front of my name, which now means that I better do some discipleship myself. I'm supposedly one of those older, wiser people, even though I was a deer caught in the headlights. But anyway, uh, one of the first things I did was like, you know what, I'm going to give this whole like discipleship business a go. And so I started this camp, not started, sorry, I started to lead this campus and I got a couple of people and I started to meet up with them around fortnightly. And, 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 and I was like, this is the best. These guys are responding. I feel great about me. I actually have answers for them. 
this is great, everyone should do this. I was like, this is honestly, I started telling other people, who do you meet up with? This is discipleship, this is how it's supposed to work. Now, again, fast forward a, a, a couple more months, and these guys started to tell me some of their struggles. And it wasn't so nice anymore. I ran out of ideas, I ran out of answers, I didn't know what to do. I, I, it was like, if this is discipleship, discipleship is hard. Fast forward another few months and a couple of these guys left the church. And I was like, the pastor's disciples left the church. This is not good. This is, no, let's not do discipleship this way. I didn't know this. This was hindsight. Only a few years ago that I discovered this inside of me, but those early discipleship experiences actually really scared me from doing discipleship relationally. It truly did. I, I did not want to go anywhere near as deep. I didn't want to go anywhere near as far with people anymore because people are messy. And sometimes people suck. And sometimes people let you down. And sometimes they leave. And sometimes they are terrible Christians. And sometimes I feel like a terrible person for even thinking that they are terrible people. And I'm like, how is this supposed to work? I really struggled with it, and it was only the last maybe three years that God started to stir up in me again this idea that discipleship is not done in courses or classes. Discipleship is not meant to be done with one person teaching and other people receiving, and that's it. Discipleship is so much further and deeper than that, but I was scared of it. And over the last few years, God's been pulling apart layers and showing me a lot more about discipleship. And I'm ready to tell you guys as live church that discipleship is one of the pillars of our church and you are meant to be a discipler not the guy down the front i am your teacher for this morning you might run with the stuff that i'm teaching and it might help you be a better disciple of jesus christ but i'm not discipling you right now Discipleship is something completely different than what we are doing in this format. This is teaching. Teaching it can be a part of discipleship. We'll talk about that more next week. Uh, I don't want to put too much content into this morning, but our church will only grow when discipleship is taking place. And our church will only grow when people start being disciples. And so let's look at where the Bible talks about this clearest, and it's called the Great Commission. It's found in Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, and it says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. I don't know what it is about um, the Bible and mountains, but the Bible loves having significant moments in mountains, and so they went up to a mountain. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, there are a couple of things in this couple of verses that already stands out if you want to be a discipler. You see, those that understand or, or, or have been following on in the gospel know that there were 12 disciples. It says 11. What happened to number 12? Number 12 died. How did number 12 die? Number 12 killed himself after betraying Jesus. One of the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ failed terribly. 
If Jesus is the ultimate role model and the ultimate disciple, the perfect disciple, then why is there Judas? That should give us a little bit of hope as a disciple that, hey, if I've got a Judas, I'm just following Jesus' model. Now, if you have 11 Judases and one good one, maybe you've got some problems and you need to deal with that. But, you know, every now and then coming across a Judas does not make you a bad disciple or take away the call for you to be a disciple. In fact, when we read on, it says this, that they came to Jesus, they saw him and they worshipped him, but some doubted. This is Jesus discipling them. How are these guys doubting Jesus when he was the one that discipled them? And so I'm like, you know what? Maybe discipleship is less about the outcome of the other person. And it's a lot more about something else. And we will talk about that over the coming weeks. But I just wanted to show you that even Jesus as a disciple didn't have perfect disciples and didn't have people that always responded the way that you would expect them to as disciples of Jesus Christ. But anyway, let's read on in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Awesome. This is known as the Great Commission. This is, for me, I start to look at this as the master strategy. The early church survived extreme persecution because of this master strategy. The early church was persecuted to within an inch of its life. Historians look at the early church and said they should not have survived the first couple of hundred years after Jesus died. But not only did they survive, they thrived, they spread across the world. And how did they do it? discipleship. And so as a church, we need to look into this very carefully because as a church, we need to practice the words that Jesus left his disciples, which also include us, as a great commission. This is what disciples do. And that's what we're going to be covering over the next few weeks, but I want to focus on something here. This is really strange um, starting point that Jesus has when he gives the Great Commission. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Remember that these guys are on a mountain and they just heard Jesus on the mountain say, I have all authority. I imagine quite a raucous, like, you know, those American movies where, you know, um, the spaceship has landed safely and everyone's like... Yeah, and they're like throwing papers around and, and, and they're like celebrating because Jesus has a victory. All authority on heaven and on earth. Jesus was saying sin is no longer the ruler of this plane. I am the ultimate ruler and all authority has been given to me. Very exciting, right? Who's excited about that? Who's excited that Jesus has all authority? You guys are way too introverted today. Who's excited that Jesus has all authority? Maybe it's because of the next line that you are responding that way. Because Jesus says, all authority on heaven, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he says, therefore go. Therefore you go. If I was one of the disciples, I would have a problem with that. Jesus just said, all authority has been given to me. And then he says, you go. 
You know, one of the biggest reasons why people don't disciple is because they don't feel qualified, they don't feel trained, they don't feel anointed, they don't feel empowered, they don't feel like they can do it. And this doesn't help. Because Jesus didn't say, all authority has been given to you, so you go. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, so you go. Right? So how many of you feel excited that Jesus has all authority, but you are doing the discipling? See, and that's where we actually have a bit of a disconnect in understanding how power and authority work. Imagine that this cookie ball monster uh, ball is one of my son's balls, so at the end of the day, please make sure this comes back to me. Um, but we imagine that power is and authority is something that we have. It's a substance. It's, it's, it's tangible. And so when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, we imagine Jesus holding the ball. And then Jesus says, therefore you go, and we look at the ball and go, no, 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 you go. You've got the power. You go. Right? Anyone kind of imagining this with me? Like, it would make more sense when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and I pass it to you, therefore you go. Right? Suddenly you can feel the power. You are experiencing the anointing that comes from heaven, and you are ready to disciple even the biggest rat bag on the earth because the power is with you. But because Jesus didn't do that and said, Jesus, all power has been given to me, therefore you go, we, we kind of feel a little bit shortchanged. But that's a very Western mindset when it comes to power. We think that, West, uh, that power is a substance that we hold. But I believe that Jesus was actually thinking about power more as maybe like an umbrella. And what Jesus was saying is, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Dylan, if I can get you to be my prop, part of my prop. You can just stand there. And what Jesus is saying is that this is my power and authority, and you're under it, so you can go. Jesus is not giving up his authority to make you more authoritative. Jesus is saying, you come under my covering, and therefore you share the same power with me. Jesus isn't scared to share this power in this model. He is holding the, thank you so much. He is holding the coverage. Jesus is not giving you the power, but he is saying, come under my power. And Jesus was extremely, extremely excited about this moment. Let me show this to you. In John chapter 14, verse 12, he says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Jesus was saying this, I know that there's a day and an age when I'm going to have all authority given to me. And I will be able to bring this covering to you. And when you believe me, and when that means that you stand under the same covering that I'm providing, you are going to do greater things than what I have even done on this earth. You know, some of us are waiting till we are holding the power before we're going to do anything about it. Jesus is the one holding the power. Jesus is the one that is holding the authority. But that doesn't mean that we don't get any of it because when I believe him, I'm coming under his authority. He says this as well 
In John chapter 16, verse 7, he says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate won't come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You see, as part of this belief structure, what happens is that Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? We did a, a series on this last year. The Holy Spirit is God himself. We have the power of God residing within us. When we make excuses not to be a disciple maker, and when we say, I am not qualified, I'm not trained up, I'm not equipped, I'm not anointed, we're looking at Holy Spirit, we're looking at God's covering, and we're saying, that doesn't work for me. Do you see that? When we look to our own shortcomings, our own inadequacies, what we don't have in our hands, and then we say to God, your commission doesn't apply to me, we're actually saying, I'm stepping out of that covering. I can't stay under here because here doesn't feel safe enough. Your umbrella's got too many holes, God. Look at this. It looks like that's not strong enough to withstand what I'm going to face if I take this on. It's too risky. See, in our Western context, in our Western world, we have been brought up to think that discipleship, following Jesus, is about me. When Jesus said the ultimate expression of what he's done is that he has now got the authority and he's saying, you go, that your life is not about how you feel and what you've got and whether you are good enough or not. It is about the fact that you are under the covering of Jesus Christ and you are meant to be making disciples. This is really clear. And so we take that then. The next question that I've got for this morning is that he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And that is another stumbling block for many of us because we go, um, God, are you sending me to India? Are you sending me to somewhere else? Where am I supposed to go? And we almost get this sense that I will do the will of God when I am somewhere else, when I have gone. I mean, I, I thought about that all the time when I was a young person. In our church, I would sign up for mission trips because mission trips made me feel like I was actually on mission, right? That's why you call it a mission trip. It's like, yeah. Uh, it was many years later that I found that most of the mission trips that Western churches do actually don't benefit communities, the person with the greatest benefit for going on these mission trips is you. You go and you feel all good that you've done something good and then you go back home. Do you do any of the same kind of stuff? Do you still serve people? Do you still love people where you are? I hope that you do. But I know that for myself, I put myself into a different kind of personality when I was somewhere else. And so, so many of us think that we need to go somewhere to be able to do the will of God and to act out the great commissioning of God. But 
The original Greek in this verse, when it says go, the word go is better translated as you continue on your way. So Jesus is saying, I have got all authority, therefore, as you continue your life, as you go where you normally go, as you do the things you normally do, make disciples. But then it says, make disciples of all nations. Now, the word nations in the Greek is the, that's translated nations is the word ethnos. And, and that's the word that um, Dylan was struggling with a little bit there. But ethnos is better translated ethnicities. So Jesus is saying, go and make disciples of all ethnicities. Now, one of the interesting things about the Hebrew people in that day and that age is that they were all really of mixed ethnicities. Even of the time of the Passover, remember when they were all in Jerusalem, when the Holy Spirit hit them, they were saying that they were people that spoke all different tongues in the same location. They didn't need to go anywhere to be able to come in contact with different ethnicities. What Jesus was trying to impress on the disciples is that this gospel is not meant to be situated only for the Hebrew Jew, Jewish people. It is a gospel that is meant for any person on the face of the planet. So as you live your life, how many of you are going to meet people? Not a trick question. How many of you are going to see someone this afternoon? Maybe after church, all of you guys going for a nap. I feel that. I'm with you. So how many of you are going to see people not from this church tomorrow? Put up your hand. Help me out here. Oh, so tomorrow, as you live your life, you're going to come in contact with a person that is probably from a different culture and an ethnicity to you. How beautiful that we are situated in Vic Park where a good 30% of people in this township do not have English as their first language. Pretty cool. We are literally going to be able to meet someone of a different ethnicity in this town. So what am I trying to show you this morning? What I'm trying to say this morning as we start our discipleship series, is that you have no excuse as to how qualified you are. You have no excuse as to how much you know. You don't. Instead, you have been commissioned to go wherever you normally go and to reach people wherever you go and bring the gospel to them, and to make disciples of them. What this whole make discipling thing is, we will talk about next week. But I want to leave you with this line. See, discipleship is not about being sent away by the power of God. Discipleship is not about going somewhere else. Discipleship is far more about how far your feet are going to take you, and how wide your arms reach. So if you go tomorrow five steps out of your house. Who are you making disciples there? In fact, tomorrow, most if not all of you have something called a phone that you hold on your person nearly all the time. I don't even have to walk that far to get in touch with you. I can dial your number and this thing travels for me 
and connects me with you, and that's as far as my feet are going to reach tomorrow. And then the other part of it is whether my arms are wide enough to be able to hold you, to be able to embrace you, to be able to share with you the gospel, to be able to help you on your way. The discipleship journey is about learning that my feet can go really far and my hands can stretch really wide. And that's something that we're going to be covering over the next few weeks. But this morning, if we can get the band up, I sensed as I was preparing for this morning that the thing that I want to land on this morning is that God has you under His covering. Some people don't know that. Some people are waiting for some kind of miracle to happen before they feel God. Some people are waiting for some miracle to happen before you know that God is on your side. I remember speaking to someone before and they were saying that God never answers their prayers. And I was like, why does God not answer your prayer? How do you know that? Said, well, whatever I pray for, nothing ever happens. When did God's power over your life depend on what you wanted? I remember as a young person praying for blonde hair and blue eyes. That prayer hasn't come to pass. Maybe God doesn't like me then. Why do we have such a small, tiny, individualistic perspective of God's covering? I was trying to find a bigger umbrella. You know, Beg's got one of those tiny little ones that go into her car, and I was like, hmm. You know, that kind of shows that Jesus only has enough for like one person. I was like, at least that can hold a Dylan in it. And so I was like, let's go with that one. But that's, that's a Bunnings umbrella. What do you think God's umbrella looks like? What do you, no, no, seriously, consider that. Why do you think that you live outside of God's covering and umbrella? Why do you sometimes consider that you're not good enough, that you don't have what it takes, that God's covering does not apply to you? That is one of the greatest, greatest struggles that I, that I see with Christians that they are saying no to God and the commissioning of God to do more because somehow the power of God does not apply to them. And so this morning, before we go any further in this series, before we talk about what discipleship actually looks like, if you are in this place and you are struggling to see whether you are under the covering of God's full authority and power, if you struggle to understand that His authority and power is large enough to encompass you so that you can walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, then I want you to come forward this morning. In fact, I'm hoping that most people come up, not because they're struggling, but because they want to know there's a, there's a confirmation in their heart that you can walk out of this morning knowing I have been called, I have been commissioned, I have been graced, I have been anointed, I am covered by the Most High to do the very thing that He has designed me for. And that is what I want to see this morning. So can we stand The band is going to lead us in a song. And I ask that if you are wanting prayer, 
if you're in this place where there's a stirring inside of you and you sense that God is calling you to something more, but maybe there's a struggle to know whether there is the hand of God on your life or maybe you just want to know for sure, I'd love you to step forward so we can pray for you. We can believe with you that God is going to do something from this place. Yeah? Ben, if you can lead us. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.